right on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or sorry, chapter 12. And uh, as you're turning there, we're going to just deal with the first 11 verses this morning, and uh, let's take a read through those. It says this, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one as he individually, each one individually as he wills. Cool passage of Scripture. Over uh, the week of prayer, we actually uh, took time each night to just go through this passage. We would just grab a little section of it and have a devotional and a discussion on the different gifts that are mentioned here and the things that Paul was speaking about. And it was a, it was a sweet time. In fact, as we did, we just said, Lord, we, we desire the gifts to be functioning in our, in our prayer time. And uh, I, I, we, we sensed that God... God did speak to us in that way. Now, as we come here to chapter 12, this is kind of the mark where I would say Paul begins to change direction a little bit in the way that he's been writing and the things that he's been saying. We're coming from chapter 11. We, we remember there was two weeks ago that discussion on head coverings. And, um, and then last week, um, we looked at the passage here at the end of chapter 11 where Paul deals with the Lord's Supper, uh, the discussion on communion, and uh, by the way, great reports this week from Koinonia, and just the, I hope you had an awesome time. I said to my group, I said, after we discussed that, I said, I want to re reteach that message, man. We had so much fun um, just going, going through it all. And so anyways, uh, throughout, throughout the letter that Paul has written here to the Corinthians, we know that he has constantly brought them to the cross. That's one thing I've tried to point out all the way through. That, that all the way through, he has brought them to this solution, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the solution for every man's problem, every person's problem, every woman's problem. And the Corinthians, as we've seen, had lots of issues in their church, in their personal lives, in their family lives. There was strife. There was division. There were factions. There were different sects within the church. They were proclaiming loyalty to different leaders and it was dividing the church. We've seen that there was sexual immorality in the church. There were church members suing one another. I mean, you really wanted to go to the Corinthian church. It's the church you would pick to attend. Members suing each other. They had leadership stuff out of order. Even the Lord's Supper, they had defiled and turned it into something that was doing more harm than good. There were problems in the church. 
And Paul, all the way through, has been saying, back to the cross, guys. Back to the cross. This is the solution, that we come back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, whether it's at the table, we gather at a... At, um, level ground around the foot of the cross. It was one of the things that I was, I was so blessed about in our discussion at Koinonia this week was talking about why was there this problem at dinner? And we were yapping ab- at the communion dinner, agape feast, yapping about the culture and the context of masters and slaves and, and different uh, people groups and them all coming together and they had failed to find unity around the cross. They were, they were taking the structures that they had in the world and they were bringing them into the church. They were saying, you know, you're my servant at home and you're my servant in the church. I'll eat and you'll wait. And they had forgotten that they were the family of God. And all along the cross of Jesus Christ has been the solution. Return to the cross of Christ. And so as Paul moves from this discussion on the Lord's Supper uh, into the gifts of the Spirit here as we call them, he is discussing really the overarching theme of the next number of chapters is this, is unity. The working of the Spirit in the body of Christ for all people. He's going to talk about unity in terms of the giftings of the body here in chapter 12. In chapter 11, it will be love. In chapter, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 13, it will be love. In chapter 14, he's going to talk about order. Instead of having chaos, here's how you can have order and unity in your service. In chapter 15, he's, he's going to talk about the truth of the resurrection and the hope that the church has that one day there'll be no sickness, Neil. One day Christ will wipe every tear from our eye. One day, though we live in these frail bodies, we will be raised to life in Christ and will be given a resurrected body. And as Paul comes to these themes, he is talking to a church that has been divided and he's saying, these are the things, my friend, in one spirit that should unite you. God has gifted you to minister to one another. Love holds us together. It's the most excellent way. There's to be order. We, We have hope in the resurrection that Jesus Christ who was crucified and who died and who was buried, God raised him from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he occupies the throne beside his father. He has redeemed us and we will be redeemed. We will be raised imperishable. And so these discussions that Paul is going to get into as the letter begins to morph a little bit, Move the Corinthians to to say this. Move beyond yourselves in the family of God. Move beyond your self-centered culture. Move beyond the the life of idolatry that starts with I. And see your relationship to one another in unity, in the gifting of the Spirit, in in love, and order, and along with the hope of resurrection. And so he says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Something totally fascinating about this passage that I'd not studied or read before until I came to it a a few weeks ago, starting to look ahead uh, with the week of prayer, is this, that the word gifts is not in the original Greek. It's actually noted in your Bible. It will tell you that if you take a close look. It says, now concerning spirituals, 
would be more a proper translation. Now concerning spirituals, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or now concerning spiritual persons, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And the translators added the word gifts to bring you into the context of what the discussion is and to help understand that. But what we're going to see here as we go through this is that this is not so much a discourse on spiritual gifts as, as it is about the body of Christ having unity. You recall, turn, turn with me, you may recall this, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a second. In verse 1, let's read the first three verses. These are three awesome verses about discipleship, and we spent a lot of time here when we were in this section. It says this, But, bro- but I, brothers, note this, could not address you as spiritual people. Paul now in chapter 11 is going to deal with this issue. Now he gets to address them as spiritual people because he's been dealing with carnalities. So, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, Infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Flip back to chapter 12. And read verse 1 again here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, concerning spirituals, concerning spiritual persons, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so Paul is moving this group of people as he's been dealing with their carnalities, he's been dealing with their fleshliness, he's been dealing with their worldliness, he says, finally, let's talk about this, man. Let's talk about what it means to be the redeemed of the Lord and spiritual people and the family of God and the unity that we share, the love that we share, the order that's to be in the church and the hope of the resurrection. And he starts here uh, with this topic on, on the gifts, spiritual things. And he says, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Other translations kind of, I like what they say. I don't want you to be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Something Paul actually uses often. He said that in in chapter 10. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, uninformed regarding Israel, that they're an example to us, their typology for us, that we need to see them as that. Um, In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the rapture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, "I, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the tactics of the devil and his schemes. In Romans chapter 11, he says, I I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the future of Israel. And it it, it seems, as as we read this too, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, that these are areas where, you know, the church tends to be uninformed. I think history would say that to us, that there's lots of questions surrounding all those things. We just listed the rapture, the example of Israel, Uh, the devil's tactics, the future of Israel, uh, all of these things, spiritual gifts. There's much ignorance regarding spiritual gifts. People feel uninformed. And ignorance regarding spiritual gifts really expresses its way in the church in, in two directions, I would say. 
The, f- the first one is this, is that um, ignorance expresses itself in it. Well, y- you know, I grew up in a certain church tradition, Pentecostalism, where, where um, we experienced the, the gifts of the Spirit. It was valuable. You know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, it was not uncommon to hear the gift of tongues spoken in a church service for there to be in interpretation. And in the midst of that, there could be extremes. The pendulum would swing this way and it would be an abuse. The flesh would get in there and it would go too far in one direction at various times. And so one of the abuses of the spiritual gifts is to get extreme in them. The other swing of the uh, uh, pendulum is to observe that abuse of gifts and then to take that extreme stance and maybe adopt a position where the gifts of the Spirit, you would say the gifts of the Spirit are not for the church today. We don't practice them. They're not functioning. And that expression of ignorance manifests itself in neglect. You say, we're not going to do that. And we just neglect the moving of the Spirit and have no openness to the working of the Spirit. And, and you know, if there is one thing as I, I study this, I, I, I pray for our church that there would be openness to the moving of the Spirit. That there would be openness to functioning in the gifts. But like I said, you know, this is not so much a discourse we're going to see on spiritual gifts as it is of unity in the body. The Corinthians, if we think about them, were a church that was short on the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Their behavior tells us that things were missing within their body. The reality was that they lacked the fruit of the Spirit and the result was this. They were bad witnesses of the gospel. I mean, don't kid yourself. I mean, we read this. What was their witness to the community around them regarding the gospel? They were bad witnesses. I mean, just consider the Lord's Supper scene like we did last week. Paul says it's, you've downgraded the whole thing to gluttony, drunkenness, selfishness. And if you went to that service and you didn't know the Lord, you'd think, how are these people any different from the world around me? The work of the Holy Spirit as we begin to talk about gifts of the Spirit is always to exalt the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, convicts the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. He points the world to Jesus always pointing the world to Jesus. If we were to flip to Acts chapter 1 and to look at the story of Jesus' last bit of time with his disciples, we know that Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit before he ascended into heaven. And he commanded his disciples, go and wait in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. And we know the story. That The Spirit came as they waited in that upper room. There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Fire came into the room. It divided and went above their heads. They were filled with the Spirit, or we might say baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in other tongues, and they were witnesses for the cause of the gospel. The Holy Spirit empowered them to proclaim Christ. 
because the Holy Spirit always works to exalt Jesus Christ. In the world, he works conviction. In the lives of the believer, he works to empower. Now, the Corinthians were short on the fruit of the Spirit, bad witnesses. He says, verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Before Christ, the religion that you practiced was to serve gods that were no gods at all. They were mute. They were dumb idols. They couldn't speak to you, and you were helplessly led away by them. You know that in the city of uh, Pompeii and the ruins, that they actually discovered a statue of the, the goddess Ashtara, and inside her mouth was this long tube, and it went down through her body and outer body and way back in behind her into the building or the back room or whatever exactly it was and off to this distant place where the priests or the priestesses would stand and they would speak into the tube and it would come out the voice of out the mouth of Asherah and the worshipers would bring their offerings and do their thing and whatever they would do and they'd have this impression that Asherah was speaking to them but really it was just another human speaking down a tube. Ashtoreth was nothing but a mute, dumb idol. And Paul says you served mute idols. I mean, you think about the things that human beings serve. You still serve mute, dumb idols. Possessions. Money. Sports. I mean, the list goes on and on. I was thinking about my iPhone this morning as I was thinking about this. That thing speaks to me. Hey, Siri, how do I get here? You know, and I always like that joke, you know, iPhone, iPad, iMac, idolatry. These things speak to us and we listen to them. Mute, dumb idols. And how awesome it is that we get to serve a living God. Serve the living God. He speaks to us. He's given us his word. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us the Holy Spirit who lives and indwells in us. And let us not, you know, forget what it was like when we served mute idols. Now we serve the living God. Verse 3 says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so, clear, but this is a good rule in regards to discerning and understanding that no man speaking by the Spirit of God ever curses Jesus Christ. Isn't there something about the cursing the name of the Lord Jesus when people take his name and they use it in vain that's like, nails on a chalkboard to your spirit that just grieves you? I mean, when you serve Jesus and you hear cussing and you hear foul language, you know, you can deal with that, whatever. It's this one or that one, dropping the F-bomb, dropping this, dropping that. I mean, lots of you work in different workplaces. You can deal with that. But there is something most offensive about taking the name of Jesus and, and using it as a cuss. You never hear, Ah, oh, Buddha! 
Hare Krishna, <laughs> right? Muhammad. I mean, Hare Krishna to me sounds like a good one. Like that sounds like a good, decent swear word. But you know, the spiritual forces of this world want the name of Jesus to be blasphemed. They want his name blasphemed. And Paul says this, that no one ever speaking by the Spirit of God curses the name of Jesus. And he says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Jesus is Lord. That word Lord, kurios, kurios. That is to say Jesus is God. When you make that confession, Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus is Yahweh, the Lord God. When we speak of Jesus and of Yahweh in the same breath, we are speaking of one God. Jesus is Lord. And you know, you don't know that until you get saved, right? I mean, you can't, you can't figure out until Jesus Christ wins your heart that he was God. The spirit of man does not recognize that until they're one to faith. And before you can understand anything about the gifts of the spirit, you have to understand up front, Jesus is God. He is the Lord. And therefore, you know, anyone who is functioning in the gifts of the spirit, as Paul lays the groundwork as he goes into this, will acknowledge the person and the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's God. The Holy Spirit works to glorify Jesus. He convicts the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come by pointing us to Jesus. He empowers the believer to be wit a witness for Christ. And we do an incredible disservice to the kingdom of God to neglect the working of the Holy Spirit. The Bible uh, teaches without a doubt that there is an experience with the Holy Spirit that is subsequent to salvation. Sometimes we, we call it being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being baptized by the Spirit. You know, when you got saved, when you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, all you wanted to know was this, my sins are forgiven, right? My sins are forgiven, I've been washed, I've been cleansed. Jesus has wiped the slate clean, I have eternal life. Most of us didn't know that we could also ask for the Holy Spirit. He was given to us at salvation, of course. But we didn't know that we could grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ by yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and there is a deeper relationship with Christ that can happen through your relationship with the Spirit. You remember when Jesus said this in, in Luke chapter 11? He said, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? Ask, seek, knock and the door will be opened. See, there is a deeper experience with the Lord that can happen through openness to the Holy Spirit. You know, I just ask you this. Think about it. Have you asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? 
Like I said, sometimes we call it baptism in the Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, whatever you want to define it as, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And in fact, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not so much an event as it is a life condition. Something that you can experience and have every day as you say, God, I need your spirit to fill me. You know, Ezekiel in chapter 47 has this cool, cool vision where he's standing on the banks of the river and the Lord invites him and he steps into the water up to his ankles. Then he's invited deeper and he goes up to his knees and, and then he's invited deeper until he's up to his waist. And, and then he just says, the waters were just a torrent so that I could, I could not cross and for you and I there is a deeper experience with the spirit of God that can be had you know many many of the great heroes of the faith um, recount times in their personal relationship with Jesus where they had an experience of being filled with the spirit and there was a marked difference on their ministry and on their lives from that point in time on there was power for them to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be powered, empowered by the Holy Spirit, don't we? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that he was buried and that he rose again? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate? The ability to believe that only comes from the Spirit of God. And therefore, if you believe those things, you can truly say Jesus is Lord and you can be uh, truly convicted of the fact that the Spirit of God lives and dwells in you, but also that God will give you more of an experience with the Spirit if you'll invite Him. I mean, the reality is this. We have nothing if not for the Spirit of God. He revealed Christ to us. So Paul gets into this discussion on gifts. He says this, verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Varieties of gifts, he says first. Did you notice that it's where the source is? He's just the same spirit. Uh, the same Lord, it's God who empowers all of these things. And he says there's varieties of gifts. That word gifts is the word charisma. Uh, the word charisma is a form of the word grace. In, gr- in Greek, the word for grace is charis. The word for gifts is charisma, just adding an M-A on the end. And so what this is, is this is the gifts of, that God gives to his church are a form or an expression of God's grace. They are his graces to his people, his gifts to his church. He gives good gifts. And we're going to see here, he gives a variety of graces to the body of Christ. He says there's varieties of service in the sense that some people might share the same gift, but it works itself out in different ways when it's used. But it's the same Spirit of God working in both people. There's varieties of activities. Yeah, there can be 
different gifts, but they can, and they can operate differently, but it's God who empowers them all. Gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. He, he works in each one of us differently for service. He, uh, we're empowered by him. The Holy Spirit energizes us. He energizes us in a, in a supernatural way, Paul's saying here, so that we can function in the gifts. And so Paul begins to talk about this gifts, and you're going to see, I just break them up for you, three, three groups. Discerning gifts, uh, the power to know, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. He speaks about gifts that are, are dynamic gifts. They give you the power to do. Gift of faith, gift of miracles, uh, the gift of healing. And then there's gifts that have to do with speaking. They, they give you power to declare, to speak, which includes prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. So check out verse 7. Actually, let's go four, up to seven. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know, the Holy Spirit is with us individually. He, li he lives and dwells within us. He also comes to into our midst when the, the people of God gather together, Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. The Spirit of God is present. The Holy Spirit is always present. But in that verse, verse 7, is that word manifestation, and it means this, to make known. The Holy Spirit is always present, but there are times when He manifests. There are unique times in unique ways that he desires to make himself known and to reveal the work of God and to point people to Jesus Christ in a special way. Beyond the norm, he reveals himself to the people of God. He reveals himself and he reveals that he is at work for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so manifestation means a revealing, a shining forth. Not of man, but of the Spirit for the good of all for the good of the body of Christ, for the collective whole. And so when it comes to the working of the Spirit, he, met, he, he reveals himself in certain ways. I was thinking about it. Um, there, there is always an element of flesh that happens in the midst of that because God's working through human beings. He's working through um, individuals. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to get turned off by the flesh. It's easy to neglect the, the gifts of the Spirit because of fleshly stuff that we've seen in maybe others' lives and to get turned off. It's also very easy to let the flesh, easy to neglect, it's also very easy to let the flesh uh, come forth in the working of the gifts, maybe out of maybe out of habit, maybe out of your understanding, maybe out of your church traditions. You know, like, like I said, uh, growing up in the Pentecostal tradition, and, and now, today, in many ways, you go to a Pentecostal church, it doesn't feel any different than lots of other churches. Um, but when I was young, I, I remember there being a far more Pentecostal distinctive about our church where there was giftings of the Spirit 
happening. And when I was a kid, like I said, it was not uncommon to hear tongues and interpretation on a Sunday morning. You could often sense, if you've ever been in a church like that, you could sense when it's coming. Things get quiet and music plays and there's a lull and there's a sense of waiting. And you just expect the Spirit of God to begin to move upon the hearts of people and for someone to share a word with the, with the body of Christ. And that's meaningful. Uh, often, God would use similar people in those gifts of tongues or interpretation. They, they had that role in the body of Christ. Uh, but in thinking about it, you know, one of the things that the scripture says is this, is that when a man speaks to God in a tongue, he speaks not to man, but to God. And one of the things I recall often when I've heard interpretations is that sometimes the interpretation is directed to man instead of to God. And um, sometimes when you hear that, uh, at other times it would be spoken to God rather to, than to men. And flesh can just get in there. And I think about it now, I think the interpretation should always be directed to God in my mind because if you're speaking in tongues to God, the interpretation should be praise and exhortation of the Lord. So there's always flesh present in the working of, in the, in the gifts of the Spirit at work um, because God works through human beings. But it's just as much a, abuse to, to refrain and to neglect as it is to let it hit one extreme or the other. And so here we are, some gifts. Let's check it out. Nine times Paul's going to point out these gifts are from the Spirit because the work of the Spirit and the unity of the body of Christ matter in these things. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another an utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom, of course, are two different things. Knowledge is to know facts, to, to know information. Wisdom is the application of facts, or wisdom is the application of knowledge. Because we know these things, what do we do? Um, Paul was called before the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 23 might recall that he was brought before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they were interrogating him and investigating his ministry. And through knowledge, I think from the Spirit, Paul recognized half are Pharisees, half are Sadducees. God, by the Spirit, helped him to identify that and he discerned that and so he said, I stand in front of you on trial for my belief in the resurrection. And what happened? The group that had him on trial was immediately divided because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead and the Sadducees didn't. That's why they're so sad, you see. <laughs> and it's a great example of knowledge. Paul was given knowledge to recognize the situation that he was in and then move. I think of Solomon. Uh, the baby was brought before him. Do you remember the two women that brought their child before him and they were, they were arguing. They'd both been mothers and in the night, one had rolled over and suffocated her child and then she had taken the dead child and put it on the 
other lady's bed and taken the living child. And in the morning there was confusion. And so they were brought before King Solomon, both claiming that this child was theirs. And God, by the Spirit, you remember, you say, well, it's the Old Testament. Hey, uh, Solomon was uniquely gifted by the Spirit of God for wisdom. You, you recall that, that he asked God for that and God gave him wisdom. Different, but he, he had the gift of wisdom. And so he said, take the sword, divide the child. Knowing that the true, the mother would identify herself because she doesn't want the baby uh, to be uh, killed. And so though Solomon was not born again, he was gifted by the Holy Spirit to have wisdom. So there's utterances of knowledge, utterances of wisdom. Uh, there's another story in the book of Acts at the city of Lystra where, where Paul uh, looks at a man and he identifies, he has knowledge to understand that that man has faith to be saved. The Spirit of God revealed it to him. This man has, uh, sorry, faith to be healed, not to be saved. And so Paul raises him up and he's healed because the Spirit of God helps him to recognize the man's faith. Here's an abuse of knowledge and wisdom. There's five people here this morning. You've got $1,000. You can, you can give that to, <laughs> you know, whatever. You know the TV guys? Look, I'll tell you something. Something that should always set off alarm bells for you is when people claim to use the gift of the spirits to get in your pocketbook. Whoop, 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 whoop. Man, warning, warning. I'm serious. Uh, that is a spot where, where people, you know, use gifts of sp the spirit or profess gifts of the spirit to uh, do a money grab. Here's another one. Verse 9, Paul says to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. The gift of faith. I think of the gift of faith. I'm, uh, I think of Elijah. You say, oh, he wasn't, he wasn't saved. L hear me out. Elijah takes on the 400 prophets of Baal. One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament, right? He takes them, he meets them up on the mountaintop. God has worked in his heart. He challenges them. He says, you do your sacrifice, I'll do my sacrifice, and we'll both call on our gods, on our God. And the God who answers with fire from heaven, he's the God, and that's who the people will serve. And, and you know the deal, it's a great dramatic story where Elijah makes fun of the prophets and the whole deal. And then when it is his turn, he takes water in the midst of a drought, and he dumps it all over the sacrifice. Bring more water, bring more water. And they're dumping it over the sacrifice. And then in a simple prayer, he calls on the name of the Lord and fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, consumes even the stone, licks up all the water, and the people say the Lord is God and Elijah takes the 400 prophets of Baal and he kills them. He was functioning with a gift of faith from the Holy Spirit because the next story is this. You remember who confronted him? Ahab's wife, Jezebel. One woman uh, challenges him and says, because you killed the prophets of Baal, I'm going to kill you. And now all of a sudden, Elijah runs in terror from one person. After he's just confronted 400 prophets and stood before a nation and called them back to God, God had gifted him with faith for that task. 
There's a big difference. I think the gift of faith, I'm reminded of the story of Peter and John who were coming from the temple and they meet the lame man who was begging for money. It says that the man was there on a regular basis, that he'd probably been there for years. And so when you read that story in the book of Acts, you have to actually think that Jesus probably walked by this man many times and he never healed him. And the man is begging and um, Peter and John say to him, silver and gold have we not, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. What was the difference? God had gifted them uh, with the gift of faith to just bring that command. Interesting, of course, silver and gold have I none. Prosperity teachers should remember that verse. <laughs> uh, the gift of faith. You know, you think of different people throughout history. I think of George Mueller. George Mueller, when God uh, poured out his spirit upon him, began to, op- felt called to open orphanages and to care to the orphan, care for the orphan, and uh, God gifted George Mueller with faith so that he never asked for money once over enti- his entire lifetime. When there was a need, they prayed, and God brought provision. And he raised over six and a half million pounds. Uh, I think he had 15,000 15, orphans, something like that. Hudson Taylor, founder of Inland China Mission, never went out requesting money. God had gifted him with faith. Same deal. He would, he would pray and the provision would come in. And so we see that the, the, gift, the gift or faith is a gift. It's grace from the Spirit of God to believe God for supply. Paul says there's gifts of healing. You know what that's in plural? It's not the gift of being a healer. One person who has this gift and wave your jacket over the crowd and they're all healed. It's not what he's saying. There are gifts of healing. Verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongue. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Working of miracles. In the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, I mean, tons of miracles take place. One thing you should always note about the book of Acts is that it spans a period of 40 years. Well, how can we never see this stuff? That spans 40 years. If you consider 40 years. (laughs) If you consider in the life of a church what God does over 40 years, man, there's miracles. There's always miracles. Healings, things that happen. And in the book of Acts, miracles took place to confirm the word of God. I think about the Gospels. Do you recall the time when Jesus was teaching in the house and there was such a a crowd in there that not everyone could gain access to him? And so uh, four friends carried their uh, crippled friend on a mat and they went up onto the roof of the house and they pulled the roof of the house apart and they lowered the man down into the center of the room where Jesus was teaching this great scene and Jesus says to the man not be healed he says son your sins are forgiven and right away the Pharisees what 
Who is he to say your sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus discerned what was going on, and the Gospels tell us that he said, so that you may know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to this, rise and walk. And the man got up off the mat, and he walked, and, and Jesus did the miracle to confirm the word that was spoken. And so there are working of miracles, and they take place to confirm the word that is spoken. He says there's a gift of prophecy. I think of prophecy, we often get the wrong idea of prophecy in our head. Prophecy is not so much foretelling. Oh, tomorrow you're going to go here and you're going to go here and you'll have a Tim Hortons coffee and you'll do that. That's not prophecy. Prophecy is not so much foretelling as it is forthtelling. It's proclamation. Uh, in the book of Revelation, we read a great verse that always helps me in my definition of prophecy. It says this, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so prophecy gives, testifies to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is foretelling. Sometimes there is an element of foretelling to it, but primarily it is a foretelling of, of calling people as the Spirit is gifting to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things come from one and the same Spirit. There's the ability to distinguish between spirits. That is the, the gift to do so. To distinguish between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Satan. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need the ability to discern because there are many false prophets prophets they act like sheep the, the, the difference is what they eat because sheep eat grass and wolves eat sheep they both look the same wolves dress like sheep but the difference is what do they eat and Jesus warned of many false prophets John repeated that we need the gift of discerning there's the various kinds of tongues the gift of tongues is personal uh, language of prayer given by God, given, given by God where, a, where a believer can communicate um, beyond, beyond the limits of his speech, beyond the, the limits of his knowledge and understanding as the Spirit of God gives utterance. Uh, I believe in the moving of the Spirit. I, I, I believe in the gift of tongues. Uh, I speak in tongues. And I would say this, I mean, as, you, as we read about tongues, for some reason, the emphasis often goes to tongues. Paul's going to deal with this uh, a little bit later in chapter 14, and he's going to say, look, I wish that all would prophesy, because when a man speaks in tongues, he speaks himself to God and he edifies himself, but when a man prophesies, he can speak for the body, and everyone is edified. Uh, what I would say about tongues is this, is that if you have a desire to have that gift, then seek God for it. But the church, more than it needs the gift of tongues, needs some of these other gifts. There's also the gift of the interpretation of tongues. That's the gift that allows 
tongues when spoken within the body of Christ to be a benefit, not just for the person who spoke it, but for whole, the whole body. And, and they interpret that which was spoken to God so that the body of Christ can, can understand. And so Paul says this in verse 11. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The source of the Spirit of God. He, he empowers these things. He gives them to the body of Christ and they are to be a benefit to us for our ministry to one another and to the world and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ because that is what the Spirit is always working for. You know, I would just say this about our church. I, I desire that we would be a church that's just open to the moving of the Spirit. That we would be individuals who each day say to the Lord, God, fill me with your Spirit. Lead my life. Direct me. Point me to the people. Take me to the spots you want to go. Holy Spirit, make me sharp enough today so that I am prepared to share the gospel as you provide opportunities for me. Amen.